You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, it is, it is Father's Day. We've been talking about that off and on this morning. And uh, again, to all you dads, happy Father's Day. We celebrated my dad's Father's Day yesterday. I'm a little busy on Father's Day Sunday, so that always happens on another Sunday for him. And so my sister and I took him and my mom out to breakfast yesterday morning, and I can't remember the last time it is that we've actually been able to do that together. And my sister had this great idea for my, my dad's, our dad's, Father's Day gift this year, and that was to create a memory jar for him. And for us to write down a bunch of just memories we have growing up with him as our dad and, and for him to have that accessible and available to him. Because my dad is 87 years old and uh, his memory is just, it continues to erode. And he just, his long-term memory is almost completely gone. He just, he can't remember things. And so for him to have these, these little slips of paper that remind him of, of what's happened in his life and how much we appreciate and love him as dad was just, it was such a rich idea that my sister came up with. And I had a lot of fun thinking through just some of those things that I would write out and put in his jar. But that being said, I also am very, very aware that like any holiday, Mother's Day, Father's Day, they are a time of joy and celebration, but there also can be a time of pain and loss and, and, and difficult for a number of reasons. So as we prepare to dive into this amazing passage today, I would just like to pray God's blessing and God's continued work in your heart and life, whether this Father's Day is a day of joy and celebration for you or whether it's, it's a time of difficulty and, and heartache. I, I want to pray God's work over you today. So would you join me as we come to him once again. Lord, thank you that you're already here with us. We have sensed and felt and experienced you, your spirit, through our time of music worship, through our time of prayer and hearing your word and and seeking you. And Lord, thank you that you are the ultimate example of what a loving father is. And all of our fathers, myself included as a father, fall short of, um, of the father that you are. And so, Lord, this morning as we as we dive into your word, and as for many of us, we once again consider a story that is very familiar to us, would you remind us again of the kind of father that you truly are? Lord, thank you that this passage is all about hope, and Lord, we need your hope every day. And Lord, I pray especially for those who this day is a day of difficulty or or loss or pain or whatever, God, that that you would be um, each person's strength and hope, that you would be my strength and hope. And we thank you that we get to be together this morning as your body to seek you together. So reveal yourself to us. Help us to see you. Help us to hear you. May our hearts respond to you as you do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm curious, as we dive into Luke chapter 15, and we are going to do the whole chapter today, how many of you have heard the story of the prodigal son? How many of you ever read a sermon, heard the story, read the story of the prodigal son? Just about all of you, and myself included. And this is one of those stories in my spiritual journey with the Lord that it seems like every time I read it, and I slow down just a little bit, and I, and I meditate on it, and I allow the Spirit to continue to illuminate me and speak into my life and heart, I come away with a new insight 
This is just one of those stories I can pick up and read and go, holy cow, I never saw that before. I never appreciated that before. I honestly have been looking forward to this message for for a lot of weeks, for a long time. Gary was gracious enough to um, switch sermons with me last weekend, and we jumped ahead to Luke chapter 16, which was a fabulous message. I hope you will go back and listen to that, because this all rolls together. Um, But this landed now on Father's Day. And I'd like to take credit for that, but I get zero credit for that. But I can't think of a better passage for us to look at together on a Father's Day. So what we're going to do, because we have so much ground to cover here, so much good ground to cover, is we're just going to work our way through the story. Usually I read the story to you and then we go back and look at it together. We're just going to work our way systematically through the story. So here is the background and the context of this. Jesus continues to explain what the kingdom of God is all about because there are a number of people in the nation of Israel, especially the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, they don't yet understand the kingdom of God. And Jesus, once again, is trying to help them understand what his kingdom is all about. And so it tells us here that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus would say once again, yeah, that's the point. And in that culture, once again, to eat with someone was a sign of relationship. If you sat down and had a meal with someone, what you were saying by your actions wasn't just, I'm hungry and I need something to eat. You were saying, I am in a relationship with you. You are a friend. And so that's what they're criticizing Jesus about because they still don't understand who the kingdom is for and what the kingdom is all about. So once again, Jesus is going to try to help them understand and he uses some stories, some parables to do that. So it says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Now, a flock of about 100 sheep is pretty sizable. There were larger flocks and there were smaller flocks, but that's the size of flock where you would miss a sheep that went missing. And once again, we have to remind ourselves that in an agrarian society, your wealth was primarily measured in land and livestock. So to lose a sheep was a big deal. You would go look for it and find it. And there would be joy and celebration. And that's what he goes on to say. This shepherd calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And just in case they didn't get it, he goes on to tell another story. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And again, frame of reference here, we might say, well, you got 10 silver coins. Why is it a big deal to lose one? Because basically, in that economy, a silver coin would have been roughly about three days worth of wages. So can you imagine losing three days worth of income in your family? and it's somewhere in your house, wouldn't you look for it? Wouldn't you stop what you were doing once you realized it was gone and go look for it? I mean, we've all had that experience when you lose your keys or you lose this or lose that. Well, this is money, and it's a pretty significant amount. 
You bet she's going to light a lamp and sweep the house and look for it. And what does she do when she finds it? She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And now Jesus saves the best for last. Now he's going to tell the story of what we would say is the prodigal son or the love of the father. And this is a profoundly powerful story that builds on these themes that he's already introduced. Rejoicing, God seeking and searching for that which is lost, repentance. And now he's basically going to summarize all that in this next story. So here we go. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now in these two short sentences, there is a lot here that we need to stop and understand and appreciate because it's very easy to read past this without a frame of reference for it. When Jesus said this part of the story, it is quite possible that among the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that there was a shocked silence. There may have even been some gasps in shock from what they just heard him say. Because once again, this was an honor-shame culture and an honor-shame society. And what kept you up at night, what you avoided at all costs was to bring shame on yourself, on your family, or on your community. And in one fell swoop, the younger son just did all three by what he demanded of his dad. Because this is what he basically said. Dad, I don't want you. I want your stuff. Dad, screw you. Give me my share of the state right now. And I know that's offensive, and that's exactly the point. That's how profoundly offensive this was for this younger son to say this to the father. Dad, you are as good as dead to me. I don't want you. I want your stuff. Now, for those of you with kids, or you at one point were a kid, can you imagine going to your parents, or can you imagine one of your kids coming to you And saying this to you, would you be a little offended? I wish you were dead. I want my share of the estate right now. This is profoundly offensive. And again, we have to realize in a culture where wealth is really measured and quantified in land and livestock, now he's asking for land that quite possibly had been in his family for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Generations of generations of family had had this land, and now he is selfishly demanding that his portion be given to me. This is incredibly costly to the father. And by the way, Jesus tells a story. This was a wealthy man. This was, as Gary pointed out to us in a series of stories about rich men, this was a rich man, presumably. And the law stipulated in Deuteronomy 21 that the younger son would get a third of the estate. So a third of the estate is now going to be given to the son. Can you imagine a third of all your resources today being given to one of your kids as they walk off with them? Because they want nothing to do with you. They just want your money and your stuff, which is basically what the younger son is saying. And this father had some options open to him. Number one, he could say, who do you think you are? No, absolutely not. And there's another option that I've read about. I'm not not 
quite so sure with this. We'll definitely hold this one with a loose hand. But it's been suggested that this father, again, you're going back to the cultural context of this, the father had the authority to have said to that son, as is true in a number of cultures around the world today, you not only are going to hear no, you are out of the family. You're done. You're gone. Get your stuff and leave and don't you ever come back. He may have had that option. But this father does the unthinkable. He says yes. And I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in that room when Jesus told this story to see how those religious leaders and Pharisees responded. And we're only two sentences into this story. So let's continue on. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he's pretty rich now, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything there, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Gary helped us see this last week in Luke 16. This same word for squandered is the same word that was used to describe the incompetent steward, the incompetent manager. He just blew the money and he blew through it. And I love how the King James says this. It translates this not as wild living, but riotous living. What is riotous living? Well, we kind of have an idea what wild living is. And if we read ahead in this story, and many of you are familiar with this, the older brother says that what describes this in saying that, well, what the younger brother was doing was he's sleeping with prostitutes, he's partying. I mean, we don't have a lot of details, but basically what this infers and tells us is that if it was broken, if it was embarrassing, if it was regretful and selfish, the younger brother was using his resources for it. And he blows through all of them. How long did it take him? Well, again, presumably, he was pretty rich because dad was rich and he had a third of what dad had now. Months? Years? That we don't know. But we know he blew through it. And now he is in a desperate place. And now we see some of the consequences of sin. His sin, his selfishness, his brokenness takes him to a faraway country where now there is a severe famine that he didn't anticipate and didn't expect and he's blown through everything. So he goes and hires himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here he is now, because of his selfishness, because of the outrageous things he has now done, he finds himself in an unclean land, among unclean people, doing an unclean job with unclean animals. He has sunk as low as someone can possibly sink to in that culture. And now he's in dire straits. He's blown all his money. He's desperate. There's a famine in the land. And it says that the pigs ate better than he did. And pods were sweet beans that only livestock and the poorest of poor people ate during that time. And he doesn't even get that. He's got nothing. And then it says, for those of you who remember the story, that he came to his senses. Profound turning point in this story. He looks around and realizes, what have I done? How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Maybe you did this as a kid. Maybe you've done it as an adult. Maybe you've seen your grandkids or kids do it. But 
You know when you're going to have to fess up to something and you begin to rehearse what you're going to say? You ever done that? You ever known you've blown it or you've gotten caught and you're thinking, okay, how am I going to get out of this? Well, if I'm not going to get out of it, how am I, I going to try to navigate my way through this? You know, one of those memories that came back for Father's Day is I was writing out memories for my dad, and I didn't write this one down because it wasn't a good memory, but was my sister and I had had this, this fight, this argument. I can't remember what it was. We were just little kids, but she ran in the house and locked the door, and I'm sure this sort of thing never happened in your families, but she locked the door, locked me out, and I was angry, so I was pounding on the door, and our door was one of those multi-segmented doors with lots of glass in it, little panels of glass, and I was beating on the door, and I put my fist through one of the glass panes in my anger. And remarkably, I just had a little cut on the back of my hand. I don't know how that happened, but I know how the broken window happened. And I knew what would happen when my dad got home that night, and I remember a very long afternoon and early evening of thinking through, what am I going to say? Okay, how, how, how am I going to get out of this? I can't get out of it, so... What am I going to do here? And that's what this younger son is doing. I need to go back and face the music. And I need to own what I've done. And so he's rehearsing what he's going to say to dad when he sees him. So he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, rehearsed speech, but sincere, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And once again, there's, there's so much here and we don't have time to unpack all of it. But just the way this is written, when it says the father saw him, it tells us that he was watching for him. This was a surprise and it wasn't. This is the picture of a father who is anticipating, who is hoping against hope that his son is going to come back. And so as he goes about whatever his daily routine was, he's watching day after day, presumably week after week, maybe even month after month and year after year. God, please bring him back. I'm watching for him. And he comes back and it says he ran to him and once again this may have been one of those places in the story where there was this shock silence among the teachers and the Pharisees because fathers didn't do that publicly it wasn't dignified you you didn't run like this in public but this father demonstrates a love that doesn't care what people think is willing to sacrifice his dignity, his reputation, presumably, to welcome back and love his son. And we think about this, and it's overwhelming. What would we expect the father to do in this story? The son comes to him, okay, first, you better grovel at my feet. You better make it worth my time to listen to you, and this better be good after what you did. But that's not what happens. In fact, the way Jesus tells the story, the son barely got those words out of his mouth before the father cut him off and the father doesn't even speak to what the, the son says. He says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a party. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. 
And so they began to celebrate. And all those things there, the robe, the ring, the sandals, those are basically showing that the father is restoring him to his position in the family. He's welcoming him back into the family and back into the community. And once again, just like in the first two stories, there's a party that happens again. And once again, that which was lost is now found and there is a celebration and everyone begins to celebrate except for the next part of the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, presumably working, doing what he should have been doing. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And as the story goes on, the older brother is overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. He missed his brother. His heart was broken when his brother left. Just like his dad, he was eagerly waiting for the hope that someday his brother would come back and he goes in and he parties like nobody there. No. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And once again, this is another place in this story where there could have been shocked disbelief and silence at this because the older brother has now effectively shamed the father just as the younger brother shamed the father. Because now in the presence of the entire community, because the older brother was making a scene now and will not go into the party, in the presence of everyone, the father has to humble himself and go out and seek and plead with his son to come into the party. The older brother has just shamed the father as well. And that's what's ironic. And there's a lot of irony in this story is now both sons have publicly shamed and disrespected and wronged the father. And the father goes and pleads with him, come in. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. Now, I know, again, you've never done this and this has never happened in your family or with your kids or with you. But there are those times, as is being reflected in this story here, when we are so angry, when we are so frustrated, we tend to exaggerate just a little bit. And those words like, you never do this, you always do this, begin to come out of our mouths in the heat of conflict. Really, he's been slaving? He's not a slave, he's a son. And yes, he works, but he's he's not a slave. He never has disobeyed the father's orders? Really? Did dad just not throw a party and he refused to go in? Really? And he is so bitter and so resentful, and so angry, he won't even say his brother's name. Whose son is he? He's the father's son, but he's not my brother. The resentment, the bitterness, it just drips from these verses, this attitude of entitlement, the resentment. And once again, we see irony here. The father goes out seeking the older son, but the father didn't go seeking the younger one. He waited for him, but he didn't go after him. And now it begins to beg the question, 
who really is the prodigal son in this story? Or to put it another way, who really is lost? Because what does the father go on to remind the older son, my son? You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours reminds him, this is your brother. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. Now, in fairness, we don't have to look very far beyond this story to realize who the story is about. The father is God. The younger son are sinners, broken people. Everybody starts out there. And the older son is, is Israel, and in particular, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And there's, there are so many things we can extract from this story. And we'll just scratch the surface here. But what does this tell us about the father's love? Because that's really what's on display here. It tells us this, that the father's compassionate. It's all over this story. He lets the son make his own choices, the younger son in particular, and extends grace to him in the process. And we have this picture of this father who's watching and waiting and hoping that his younger son will come back. We have this father who, even when he is deeply wronged over and over again by the younger son, he responds with compassion. Tonight, when you go to sleep, if you were to have a vision from God, and God were to introduce himself to you in terms of appearing to you and saying, this is who I am, and this is what I'm like, and in all fairness, he's done that through his written word and does that. But if he were to give you a vision tonight of that, what do you think he'd say? Well, in some ways, we know what he would say because he did this in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus with Moses. And how did God himself describe himself? In Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, the what? The compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. No, he's not a pushover. No, he doesn't sweep sin under the rug. Quite the opposite, actually. But he's compassionate and and gracious. And what's so encouraging to me is the hope that's in this passage. It speaks to every single one of us. All of us. Because this is God's story. But it's also ours. Some of you of dads have regrets. Boy, I do. I am not a perfect dad by any means. Boy, not at all. But I remember many years ago, when my kids were little, I remember being on a a, a prayer retreat at the coast with some of the other staff from our church. And for me, I connect with God at the coast, at the beach. I mean, I connect with him in a lot of different places, but it's like the Holy Spirit gets amplified when I'm at the coast. And man, I just hear the Lord so clearly. Every major life choice I've ever made in my life has involved at some point a trip to the coast because that's where I hear the Lord. And I remember in particular being on this retreat And I remember just being so discouraged because I had had some interactions that week with our little kids where I had been so harsh and unreasonable. And it wasn't 
they were just being kids. I mean, they were being disobedient and maybe even a little disrespectful, but kids do that, right? That, that's part of the growing up process. But I had taken that personally and in my insecurity had felt threatened by that and had been profoundly harsh in what I had said to them. And this was a pattern at that point in my life. And I remember just being broken over it, going, God, I don't want to be like this. How do I change? And I'll never forget the Spirit impressing on my heart and saying to my, to my heart, do I love you like that? No. No, Lord, you don't love me like that. You're compassionate. You extend grace to me. You can do that for your kids too. How, Lord? Because that's how I have loved you. You can be that kind of dad. And that was a turning point in my parenting with my children. Was I harsh at times? Oh, sure. There were still times I defaulted to that. But that was a defining moment where I realized I can be a compassionate father because my heavenly father is a compassionate father. And that's how he loves me. And we need to hear that this morning. Dad's you can be a compassionate, loving father. You can, because that's the way your father loves you. But, but look at the hope that is all over this passage. Some of you have adult kids, kids who aren't yet adults, who haven't embraced the Lord. They've walked away from the Lord. They've, they've, they're on a path that breaks your heart. And I know that's true because many of you tell me about that and I'm praying with you. And, and like that father, you're watching and hoping and praying that, that they will come back to the Lord or they will come to the Lord. There is hope here. We don't know how long that father waited, but this story tells us he waited a long time. And you can get pretty far away from the Lord and still come back. No one would have ever expected that younger son to come to his senses and come to the end of himself, but he eventually did. And he profoundly wronged his father in so many ways, and he still came back, and his father received him back. Such incredible hope, because the kingdom of God is about hope, and it is about redemption. That is the point of the story. And there are some of you who need to respond to that hope this morning. We all do, but some of you need to make that defining moment choice because if you're honest with yourself, you are the younger brother in this story. You know that you are not living the way God wants you to live. You know that you have settled for religion instead of a relationship with God like Jay was talking about earlier. And you need to come to your senses just like the younger son did. There's God calling you right now, right? But... <laughs> Look what Romans reminds us. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intending to lead you to repentance? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So what are you waiting for? And by the way, for all of us, when God calls you to repentance, his timing is always now. It's never tomorrow. It's never next week. It's never when you feel like it. God's call to repentance is something we answer now. His timing is always now. And some of us, quite frankly, are like the older brother at times in this story. What should the older brother have done? 
Well, there's a lot of latitude and a lot of room there for us to fill in the blanks. When his younger brother left, where in the world was the older brother? Why did he not go after his brother? Did he not have a voice into his life that the father didn't have because he had a different relationship? I don't know, but where was the older brother in this? Resentful, angry, entitled, bitter. Where was he? And the whole point of these parables is God is a God who pursues the broken. He, he initiates and goes looking for and pursuing the broken. Sinners, like you and me, where we all start out from. Once again, Christianity, the only worldview that teaches that God comes seeking us, we don't look for God, he comes looking for us, and he comes looking for us in our brokenness to find us, to call us out of that, to redeem us, to restore us, to heal us, to reinstate us. It's, it's remarkable, the love and the grace of God. And yet sometimes, as Jesus followers, as those who know him and love him, we can act like the older brother. Churches can become clubs. People can get the wrong idea that, boy, you've got to clean yourself up in order to come to church. Seriously? No. No, no, no. You don't clean yourself up and come to God. You come to God as you are, broken, and God puts you back together again. God brings healing. Where in the world did we ever get to the point where people would view the church as condemning and unwelcoming, or only certain people can come, or you have to act this way or be this way? We're the church. We are the hope of the world. We should be a magnet for broken people. And that's one of the ethoses of our church that I'm very grateful for. We, 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 we have a, a reputation, thankfully, in this area that, that we do welcome the broken and we are a safe place. Man, I want that to go deeper. I want more redemption stories here and I hope you do too. Because here's the deal. Who is it that bears the cost of the younger brother's redemption? It's the father but it's also the older brother. When, they come, when the younger son comes back and they throw that party, they kill that, that, that lamb or that sheep and they throw the party and all the resources, the younger brother just squandered all his resources. Whose resources are those? Ultimately, they're the, younger brother, the older brother's inheritance. He's the one who's paying for it now. He's bearing the cost of the younger brother's redemption. The father is certainly, but, but it's the older brother too. And we could sure spend a lot of time on this, but I hope you're willing to bear that cost. It will cost us to reach this community for the gospel. And I'm not just talking dollars and cents. Park the budget for a minute. That's really not the point here. It will cost us our comfort. It will cost us what's familiar. It will cost us what we're used to. It will cost us in order to reach this community for Jesus Christ. Are you willing to pay that price? Every day should be a gut check for us as a church when it comes to that. Because it's so easy for us to circle the wagons and just want things on our terms, our way. And that's not what we're called to do and to be. Because we want more stories of redemption here. And we're out of time and we're going to do it anyway. Jeremy, will you come on up? This is Jeremy Burt. Jeremy is our middle school ministry leader. Gary referenced him last week in his sermon. But I'd like you to meet Jeremy and to hear some of his story, because it's a story of, of redemption. So Jeremy, would you, would you share your story with us? And I've heard Jeremy's story, I don't know, at least three or four times. 
And I'm so grateful for his authenticity and his willingness, and I promise I'll let you talk. <laughs> no, that's his, his willingness to share this with us because it's deeply personal and it's deeply redemptive, and you've had a hand in it. So Thank you, Jay. go ahead, brother. Well, it's a very sacred day for me this morning. I don't know if you know this. is actually the year anniversary of me working here. It's Father's oh, Day Oh, that's year. so awesome. So, wow, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, really special for me. Um, but I was thinking about when you asked me, Jay, I was thinking about redemption and my story. And I, I wanted to share this with you guys because of the fact that uh, you deserve to know the redemption that's happening in this church and in my life that you have all been a part of. Um, I was a youth pastor in Seattle for about a year um, at the church I grew up at. I'd been there for 24 years. And um, at the time, I, I loved, I just loved ministry. I was so thankful to be a part of it. And um, unfortunately, uh, through my own sin and foolishness, uh, a relationship that I'd had, a secret relationship in the past with a, a young lady at the church uh, came to light, and it cost me my job. And I understood that. I understood that it cost me my job because of my own sin, my own foolishness. Um, What I didn't know at the time was that it was the church's chance to wash its hands of me. And so uh, they started out on a campaign, basically, to to remove me from the church. And um, it was just an awful year. 2011, uh, in May of that year, I watched my brother die of cancer uh, in... June, the church kicked me out, and then in July, my wife Monique and I got married. So it was just tumultuous all over the place, and I don't know, uh, I don't think I'll ever know the kind of courage and integrity it takes to marry someone at their lowest point. Hmm. Thank you. Hmm. So fast forward three years, I want nothing to do with the church I'm attending Western Seminary because I'm thinking, hey, I can be a professor and maybe I can teach some pastors how to be pastors, how to love people well. And I'm sitting in Gary's class one night and I watch the way he pastors and counsels in his classroom setting. And it's like 10 o'clock at night, it's a late class. And I come up to Gary afterwards and I go, Gary, I hate the church. But when I watch you, I remember the way I used to love it. I love people, but I hate the church. I want to love it, though. And in his very Gary way, he said, well, let's talk about that. (laughs) So we started talking, and he told us we should come to Grace. And so we attended here for a year, just in and out, not wanting to interact, be a part of anything, serve, just to see what it was like to be in church. And if I'm honest, I I was neutral at best, which is actually pretty good. I wasn't negative, I was neutral. And um, after that year, I was thinking about Jesus and what he paid for his church. And I was thinking, don't I owe that something? Don't I owe that, that church something that Jesus was so willing to die for? And so I started talking to Gary about serving, and, and little did I know, he, he was like, well, you know, there's a middle school intern position that's opening up, and, and no one really knows about it yet, but we're, we're opening it up. What would you think about that? And I said, Gary, that sounds horrible. <laughs> no, thank you. 
But even while I said that, you could feel the redemption in the air. You could feel God in it. Of course, God would bring me to my pain point to find healing and redemption. And so I embarked on this journey. I I met with uh, Matt and Sean and talked to them first and told this story, a much longer version of this story. Uh, Then I met with the elder team. Tell you guys this is, I wanted to say thank you, Grace Community Church. Thank you. Because I had become convinced that the church would never be anything other than an older brother. Hmm. Condemning, hateful, entitled. You have shown me that not only should the church be this way, but it can be the very arms of the Father to embrace prodigals. To embrace the lost, the hurting, the broken. And I just want to encourage you, never lose that identity. Never lose the Father's heart for prodigals. Because he is seeking them. And you can bring them back into the fold. You did for me. Hmm. You did for me. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Jeremy. So as our worship team comes and and we worship together, we're going to celebrate a God who is faithful and loving and gracious. And so this is your time to respond to him and to respond to what you've heard. So let's do that together. Charles R. Williams gives us a picture of what it might have been like coming home as the prodigal son in this cutting from the return of the prodigal. Home. Now to come home. You, oh my friends, who always were at home, cannot know how much those words mean, how they pierce my heart and fill it with emotion beyond speech. My eyes grew dewy as I heard the song, happy and careless on my homeward way, from days in the vineyards or nights under the stars up yonder with the sheep. And now, back from my wanderings in strange lands to feel at home, at home, I nurse the word and hug it to my heart, repeating it over and over, like that best lullaby my mother used to croon in that far-off Elysium when I first knew that I was I and she was all the world. Do not wonder if the tears will mist mine eyes or mar my utterance, for I cannot yet quite grasp the rapture of it, that I am home, am home and see you all. You asked me for my story. Oh, my friends, it's hard to tell, for my heart grieves and quivers. Foot sore, unkept, in tatters I came hither, 
a suppliant of my father. On my knees, I thought to approach him first, to appeal for his compassion, to take me in and make me as an hireling. But lo, afar off, he saw my faltering steps and knew me for his son despite my sorry plight. He ran to me, fell upon my neck, and kissed me in full welcome to my home. He cared for me, as when I was a child, and had o'erstayed my license and come home, weary from play, with raiment, soiled and torn, showing the kind of love only a parent can feel or fathom, love that offers no rebuke nor asks one question while the need is great. He held me to his bosom and led me home, had all my rags, my filthy rags removed and put me in fresh raiment, clean and sweet, and hung about me in mute happiness. He spread this feast before me as though I had come home a conqueror not a beggar, pleading for his grace. The fatted calf he has killed and invited you all to share in his compassionate joy that I, unworthy, whom he long has thought is lost to him, was now returned. He has spread this table before me, surely not in the presence of my enemies, for you are my friends, I trust. And now, Now I am home. I hope you heard the hope that saturates and pervades and and drips from this passage we looked at here this morning. It is yours to have, and we want to help you find that hope. We have prayer teams off to the side. We would love to pray with you or come talk to me. Some of you, you know, I was at that point in my life too, where you come to your senses and you realize, I need Jesus in my life. And it's time. It's time to stop running from that, running from him. Would you come talk to me or the prayer team if that's you? Some of you, you have kids and grandkids who they are the younger son. They have walked away from the Lord. Maybe they've never embraced the Lord. And you're waiting and hoping. We want to pray with you. We will hope and pray with you. And maybe some of us are the older brother where we're, we're resentful. We realize we're entitled and we don't have to live like that. God wants to free you from that too. And maybe you're one of those, in one of those places I haven't described. There's hope in Jesus Christ because Jesus himself said, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. We all start out lost he is the one who comes looking for us and finds us but we have to respond so respond to him and respond to his grace and let me pray his blessing over you I thank you for every person here this morning and I pray for those who are fathers that they would love their spouses their kids their grandkids the way you love them and Lord I pray for all of us that we would love others the way you have first loved us. Thank you that you were the God who leaves the 99 to go looking for the one. 
You are the God who pursues us with a reckless love like we just sang about, a love that is so incredibly graceful and merciful and compassionate. Would that love lead us to repentance and cause us to turn back to you every day and to follow you? Thank you for this sweet time to be with you. Thank you that you go with us now through your spirit in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Happy Father's Day and go and live for him. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.